Praise the Lord. Jesus said, I am the truth and I am the way. I am the life. 
And no one goes to the Father except through me. He tried a lot to convert Nicodemus. But he just couldn't do it. Nicodemus just had some obstacle, some barrier. He was so stuck in religion. He was so stuck there that he couldn't accept it. And now, he's not there. So what hinders us? What blocks our path? What obstacles restrict us from doing exactly what Jesus would have us do? I mean, sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a relative. Sometimes it's a different pastor. Sometimes it's anybody. But a lot of times the enemy will use some of your closest friends. Some of the people that you hold so dear in your heart. And he will use them to keep you from being what God would have you be. From doing what Jesus would tell you to do. I mean, he used the serpent to get Eve, but the serpent was in his right place. He was allowed in the garden. I mean, there's gardens with snakes in them. But the enemy went into that serpent and he deceived Eve. The enemy will use whoever he can, whatever will hinder us. Something is holding us back. Something has a grip on us. There is something in some of us that are so deeply embedded into us that we cannot let it go. Let me tell you, yesterday's gone. Whatever happened yesterday, you can't change a thing. There is absolutely nothing you can do about it. It's gone. It'll never come back. The only thing you have is tomorrow. You have the future, and God said, I have a future plan for you, a hope. Remember that. The Lord guides us into his future hope for us. He had a plan for each and every one of us while we were still in the womb. But we can't look back. There's nothing there. We always go forward. I mean, even the old song, Onward Christian Soldiers, never had people going backwards. The full army of armor of God has nothing covering your back because we don't go backwards. We do not retreat. We continue to move forward. In Genesis 19, after Abraham had got done negotiating with God about finding people that were holy and saving them, he gets Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the scripture says that the Lord rained down brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. And he overthrew the cities. So there was more than one And he burned them. 
and the inhabitants of these cities were gone. Today, there's probably some cities that God would just like to do the same thing to. There's probably some areas, but there's some areas in your life that need to be burned up and thrown away and turned into ash. But what happened? It says Lot's wife, she looked back. She couldn't let go of the past. She held on to it. God turned her into a pillar of salt. She would not let go. We have to take what happened to us before and learn from it. That's the only thing that you can bring forward is some wisdom that you may have gathered and you may have learned. But God has you keep moving forward. He says righteous deeds are not enough. Those things that are not what God requires. It's not part of his standard of righteousness that you go out and do righteous deeds. He wants you to surrender his, your will to him. He wants to be the Lord of your life. Amen. Jesus explained to his disciples that they needed to have a true eternal, internal righteousness, that something had to be inside of them that God had given them that they pursue righteousness. It couldn't just be a matter of something you learn in your head. It couldn't be something that is just like they say, head knowledge. Head knowledge is not enough. It had to come from inside of us. This desire, this will to pursue and become a disciple of Jesus. For if we are truly disciples, that is inside of us, that burning desire to follow him and follow his truth and obey his commands. We all need a savior. We can easily get a king. I mean, even in this apartment complex that I live in, we have people that want to be kings. <laughs> We have one phase fighting another one. Our condo complex is broken up into three phases consisting of four buildings a phase. And they're all fighting each other for power. They're all doing petty little things. They're running to the office like little school children and telling the manager, oh, so-and-so did this. So-and-so said that. Righteousness needs to come not that way, but through a true feeling of love of what Christ has instilled within you, what Christ has put in your heart. Matthew 6, 33, it says what? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. 
because Jesus has come to earth. He is the kingdom of God. He represents that. But Jesus' audience in those days wasn't really prepared for him. They weren't really ready for this. He just kept saying, you gotta change your mind. You gotta get out of that mindset of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that mindset continues today. It goes on and on. Let's take a look into Acts chapter 16. We find quite a few little stories in there. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul's on his way to Philippi. And it says in verse 13, And on that Sabbath day, he went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And he said, We sat down, meaning Paul and Silas. And we spoke to a woman who we met there. Now it says that certain woman was named Lydia, and she heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyra who worshiped God. And then it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things Paul spoke. The Lord opened her heart. So many times, so many things just fall because our hearts aren't ready to hear it. Our hearts are hardened. And we cannot hear, but God softened it. Faith is a gift of God in the sense that God removes a barrier created by human rebellion so that the individual can exercise faith. We do rebel, don't we? Isn't that just a human characteristic that we rebel? So-and-so says, do this, and you do the opposite just because? I mean, sometimes it's for no other reason other than just because. We have to learn that. Lydia was the first in that whole community to believe in Jesus Christ. She was the first Christian convent, convert, I mean, on that European continent. A newly baptized, a new Christian. And if you can remember back to the day when you were saved and you were baptized, how much you were on fire for God, how much you were on fire for Jesus. I mean, you told everybody about Jesus. But as the years go on, that fire seems to dwindle. But you gotta stoke it back up. Throw some more wood on that fire. Get that burning in your heart because folks, we're in the last days. Amen. If you didn't hear the news this morning, China and Russia unveiled their plan for a new world order. It does not include the United States. It does not include the Pope, who spent a couple of years ago, went to Dubai to a conference of the New World Order in which he wanted one world religion, obviously his. But that didn't fly either. 
Now, China and Russia put together their plan for a new world order. It's in the works. And then now, as Paula and Silas, they've converted Lydia, her family. They're making new converts everywhere they're going. And they run across the slave girl who's chasing them around going, what were her words? She says, these are servants of the Most High God who bring message of salvation. She knows who they are. Because she's a demon-possessed slave girl, a fortune teller. The Bible says she had the gift of deviation, which is magic. She learned things through the spirits that controlled her. And she's running around following Paul. And Silas going, oh, these are the guys with the message of salvation. These are the guys that serve God. I mean, she had to be annoying. She annoyed Paul so much that finally he just cast the demon out of her. He got tired of putting up with her. Now, you've all had people like that just kind of annoy you and poke you. Just keep going. So Paul did that. Of course, then her owners get a little upset. They decide to take Paul and Silas before the magistrate. And he gets thrown in jail. Now, Paul could have stood up and said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this to me. But he didn't. He let him throw him in jail. And then it says that they are in jail and they begin to worship God. They're in prison. They're chained up. They're bound. And they began worshiping God, singing hymns, and praying, and worshiping God. And we have to understand that sometimes when we're down, sometimes when these obstacles come up against us, and they seem too much for us, it's time for us to get down on our knees Amen. and pray. It's time for us to get down on our knees and start worshiping God because he's the one that's going to get us out of it. Amen. We're not going to do it on our own. Although we will try. But we need to praise God. Worship God. Amen. I mean, sometimes it's difficult to receive Jesus when we're in these kind of situations. But if we have our mind changed, if we change our mindset and find it rewarding to celebrate Jesus. So now this great obstacle of prison has come upon Paul and Silas. They're chained up and they're praising God and worshiping God. And then it says a great earthquake came and shook the jail 
removed and loosened all the shackles. I mean, they were totally set free. And then what does it say? The jailer, assuming the prisoners have escaped, prepares to take his whole life. But miraculously, no one had left. And what does the jailer recognize? He recognizes love. He recognizes integrity. And he recognizes truth. So he says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Paul says to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household So the jailer knows the other facts of the gospel. He was ready to make that decision. I'm sure Paul spent some time explaining things to him. But he made that decision. He started in faith to wash their wounds, to clean them up. He overcame those obstacles that the Roman Empire had put upon him. He overcame them when he saw that no one left, that they cared so much about that jailer that they wouldn't leave. They didn't want him to kill himself. Most people in the world, if they had that attitude, would have been out of that jail They'd have ran, and they wouldn't have looked back. But these people that Paul had touched with his hymns and his praying and his singing and his worshiping God changed their attitude. Every person is either a conformer or a transformer. We either conform to things or we transform things. Jesus was a transformer. You're going to follow him, you're going to be a transformer. You're not going to conform. The way we praise God, the way we worship God can make a big difference in whether we're a conformer or a transformer. You've been in church services where they just conform to whatever. Okay. You come into the church. I grew up in one of these churches. You came in and there was a board up on a wall. And it says, today we read scripture this. We sing him this. We sing him that. This happens. That happens. And go home. Just conform to what it says and go home. Or can come into a church that believes that God is a living God Amen. and that the Holy Spirit rules. And you just follow the order, but you surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I mean, we have order in this church. 
But if the Holy Spirit decides to move, we're going to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And we're going to do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. So you ran well. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who hindered you? It says the obstacles are described as things that impede our progress. They block us or they prevent us from doing things. They hinder us, they impede us, they delay us. They frustrate us. They make us ineffective. They get in our way to stop the purpose of which we were going. What overwhelms you and discourages one? Those kind of things can motivate you. The difference is whether we will allow these obstacles to drain us, or we will learn from them and become stronger and move on. In James 4.1, it says this, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That war on your members? Is it in our own pride and pleasure that causes conflict? Is it in our own pride and pleasure that creates obstacles from being what God would have us do that keeps us from obeying the truth of Jesus? It is our own pride. It is our own changing of the flesh. One of the greatest obstacles that we have to overcome is fear and worry. We have to change that attitude towards that. The spirit of fear is not of God. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So if we're fearful and we're worrying, it is not of God. We have to change our mind. We have to change our thing. Fear isolates us. We lose control. I mean, look what happened to the people that were really scared in this pandemic. They went in their rooms. They shut their doors. They didn't associate with anyone. The government tried to make us more fearful. They scared people. But those that put their faith in God prayed and said, God, what would you have us do? What would you have us do? And God told different people to do different things, but he took the spirit of fear out of them. And he said, if you go out, do this, do that. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Go to this church, school, go to this church, go to there. But he took away the fear and the worry that at the enemy 
tried to instill upon you. Because the enemy just wanted you terrified that if somebody even came near you, you would die. In John 4.18 it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not made perfect, has been not been made perfect in love. Jesus, renewing your mind, reconditioning your thought patterns through his scriptures, through his word, through the Holy Spirit talking to you, lets you know what perfect love is. Lets you know that fear is not there. Being smart, being concerned is not fear. Fear is biting your nails and being terrified and hiding yourself in the closet. Another big obstacle we face is a competition or a comparative spirit. We look at other people, we size them up. We wonder, oh, they make more money than I do. They live in a bigger house than I do. They drive a bigger car than I do. We have to compete with them. In the time that I was growing up, when I was a kid, they used to call this keeping up with the Joneses. If the neighbor bought a new car, well, you had to go out and get a new car. If the neighbor got a better job, you boy, you better be in a better job. If the neighbor moved into a bigger house, how can you live in that little dump? No, you gotta buy a bigger house. You gotta keep up with the Joneses. No matter what. But comparisons never work. Nope. We are to never compete. We are to never compare. And we are to never criticize. God has made us all different and gave us all very unique gifts. Right. How can we compare ourselves to someone else? We can't. We're different. We're going to do things different. We're going to say things different. The only thing we have, should have in common is Jesus Christ. I mean, look, look at the chicken and a pig having breakfast. What do you have? Bacon and eggs. Bacon and eggs. Second Corinthians 10, Paul says, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. I mean, you all know those people, the ones that pat themselves on the back. They tell you how great they are. I was at a meeting the other day. The meeting lasted an hour and a half. It had three sections. The first section, the speaker did a half an hour on how great he was. 
The second meeting, the second half of the meeting, or third of the meeting, he talked about what he wanted to do. And the third half, he faced our concerns and our issues, or the third section of the meeting. But the first 20 minutes, or half hour of a meeting, was him telling us how great he was. Paul says these people, they measure themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about those people who live by the flesh because the flesh tells you that you've got to compete with each other, that you're better than so-and-so. Romans 12, 16 says, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. And do not be wise in your own opinion. Another chicken story. <laughs> we have a rooster strutting around the, the chicken house, the chicken pen. And he sees a football. He gathers all the hens together. And he says, look at this big egg. And he demanded that they started to lay eggs the size of that football. I can't do it. Never compare. Never compare yourself to another. You're unique, you're special, and you're different than the person sitting next to you. God judges on our ability. If he gave you a gift and you're not using it, then he might judge you on it. If he gave you the ability to be the world's greatest scientist, and you're sitting home doing nothing, he may judge you on that. Don't compare yourself to others. God has given you something unique. Another big obstacle, Brother Chris talked about it this morning, is hurt, is bitterness, yeah. is offended spirits. Jesus said, in the last days, we will be offended. No if, ands, or buts. They're going to come after Christians. They're going to attack you. Matthew 24, 10 says, and then many will be offended, and they will betray one another and will hate one another. The weak ones in the faith, that's what's going to happen. They're going to start to compete. They're going to start to offend one another. The mark of the beast is going to come out, and they're going to start turning each other in. Just like those condo commandos in our place. So-and-so did this. So-and-so did that. And they run to the office all day long. Bitterness is a root. 
It is a root and it's dug deep into some people. It has killed people. Bitterness is hidden very deep in darkness. Let the light of Jesus come in because that's the only thing that's going to take it out. In Hebrews 12, 15, it says, Looking carefully, lest anyone falls short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing out can cause trouble. And by this, many will be defiled. Don't be bitter. Get rid of that. It is evil. You don't need it. It does you no good. It's a type of unforgiveness. But we wear the full armor of God. Your bitterness isn't going to hurt me. It's going to tear you apart. But it's not going to hurt me. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. God gives each of us a plan. And he has a plan for each and every one of you. He's told us that in Jeremiah. He tells us that again in Matthew. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you. Settle it between the two of you. If he hears you, you'll gain the brother. If, you ha if he doesn't hear you, what have you lost? Nothing. But if he still doesn't hear, take him to the elders of the church, it says. And if he still doesn't hear, if he refuses to listen, then he is nothing more than a heathen, like a tax collector. Believe it or not, Matthew wrote that. <laughs> he knew what he was. And then verse 18 says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Get rid of the bitterness. Get rid of the unforgiveness. The house of God should be full of love. That doesn't mean you're not going to disagree with each other once in a while. That's going to happen. But you should still love each other. Love each other. Then Peter comes to Jesus. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Peter was willing to forgive somebody seven times. I mean, he went way out on the limb. But Jesus says to him, do I not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven? Jesus is really telling him, you just keep forgiving him forever. Another thing we have to overcome is an obstacle of discouragement. Many times in the Bible, we see battles with discouragement. And often the Father says to us, be strong, be courageous, and do not be discouraged. 
John 14, 1 says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Do not let your heart be troubled. But still we face discouragement. I mean, here's David coming home from a great victory. I mean, he's got smiles. They got a cash full of stuff that they took from their enemies as they wiped them out. I mean, they were just victorious. Him and his men are just having a great old time. They're slapping each other on the back. They're saying how great it was. What a great battle. Oh, we tore him up. He gets to the horizon. And he sees smoke cold. He sees smoke. He sees the remains of fire. A lump comes in his throat and they take off running. And he finds himself and his whole village carried away. All the women and children were gone. They weren't dead, but they were taken away by the enemy. And of course he's discouraged. But that's not enough. Now his whole army that was just praising him, they want to stone him. Well, let's stone David. He took us out to war and he took us into battle and look what happened. Let's kill this guy. It says now, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. Look at the next line. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. When we get discouraged, our strength is in the Lord. It's not in your spouse. It's not in the friend you're texting or calling. It's not in your relatives. It's not in anybody other than the Lord. That is your strength. That is your strength. We have to learn how to encourage ourselves. Because David could have wallowed in self-pity. I mean, we've all done that. How many of y'all thrown a pity party? <laughs> Woe is me. You know the ones. You call all your friends, you gather them all together, and you tell them how pitiful you are. How bad it is. David could have done that. But he found his strength in the Lord. His God. And that's where we need to be. And we can do that on our own. Another thing that really gets us and becomes an obstacle is when we find ourselves too tired. We're weary. We're exhausted. We have no strength, but we try to keep on going. We lose sleep. It's the perfect time for an enemy to attack. So many addictions and so many people backslide because they're tired. They're exhausted. They haven't got the strength to fight the enemy. 
he comes in and just takes them right back into their alcoholism, right back into their drug addiction, right back into their gambling, right back into anything that they fought off because they can't fight it. Do not let yourself get exhausted. It says in Galatians 5.9, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf, the whole lump. And just a little bit is enough to poison it. Galatians 6.7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he that sows to the flesh shall his flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Whatever you reap, you sow. Whatever you put in, you're going to get out. Let us not be weary of doing well, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We shall reap if we faint not. In other words, Paul's saying, hang in there. Yeah, sometimes things are going to get tough. But don't look back and go back to those ways. Keep going forward. God is your strength. God is your redeemer. God is the one. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a scripture you all need to remember. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. That's why God gave it to us. That's why Jesus sent it. To dwell within us. To baptize us from time to time to do the ordained work that we need to do and to overcome the obstacles. Obstacles and problems are opportunities to grow and to trust God. Are you growing? Because we are overcoming. We are overcomers. Amen? Amen. Let's bring up the worship team. I'm going to give you a scripture I want you to meditate on. I want you to pray about. It's Luke chapter 6, verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? In other words, why do you call Jesus Lord and not obey him? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? Let's stand.